0: Hello, and welcome to the Draugr OS podcast, where we talk about all things Draugr OS, Linux, and gaming. In this episode, I have a very special guest. He is one of our newest contributors here at Draugr OS. He has written blog posts, he wrote a couple wiki articles, and he is helping a lot with finding bugs in the latest beta. And he's doing a lot more too. So now, Join me in welcoming Mark Doherty. So how are you doing today, Mark?
1: I'm doing pretty good today. I'm not sick. I'm not too affected with the coronavirus spreading around. I'm still working, so life hasn't affected me
0: much with that. So
1: yeah, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Okay, cool. I uh, haven't been affected by the coronavirus very much other than the quarantine thing. So, not a huge deal. If anything, it's giving me more time to work on Draugr OS, which I think a lot of people are appreciating right now.
1: (laughs) So, we you're being quarantined right now?
0: Yeah, my state got a shelter-in-place order, and it took effect yesterday. So So, how long
1: do you have to be quarantined?
0: I think about 30 days. Oh, wow. Yeah, not fun. So, why don't you give everyone listening a quick rundown about who you are and how you got involved with the open source and Linux community. So
1: I don't consider myself to be of any importance really, but uh, (laughs) I mainly consider myself as a journalist, particularly when it comes to Linux and Linux gaming. I am one of the writers for BoilingSteam.com. For those of you who are not aware of what BoilingSteam is, it is a website dedicated to Linux gaming news and reviews. I have a high school diploma. I took IT as a vocation. I am both A+ and network plus certified. As far okay. as uh, careers are concerned, I'm not working in any Linuxy type of job or IT job, but yeah I do have those certifications. Cool. I also animate, well, kind of, I'm kind of an animator <laughs> with Source Filmmaker. I've learned how mm-hmm. to use that. That's a it's a pretty neat tool to use, so I mess with that from time to time, which works great on Proton, by the way. I'm not a programmer, not yet anyway, so <laughs> I don't contribute any code to the open source software community but there are some programs open source programs that I really do like that I do donate to from time to time and also people who advocate FOSS like Brian Lunduk, the Linux gamer, Jason Evangelo. Okay
0: cool so outside of Draugr OS what would you say is your favorite piece of FOSS software?
1: It would probably have to be Firefox. I mean, I've got a bunch, but the one that came out of my head right now has got to be Firefox because okay. it's not based off anything from Google. It uses its own web engine and it's very flexible, very customizable, serves my needs. So there's Firefox. I like OBS. Yeah, there's a lot. So I think of those two in particular, there's, there's a bunch I could probably list, but... Yeah, I think of those two in particular.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, Firefox is very customizable. I remember when it wasn't all that customizable, and then Firefox Quantum came out, and it was a game-changer. Yeah, yeah,
1: the thing with Quantum, though, was that it broke some of the compatibilities with it the add-ons. It definitely did. But the add-ons uh, that I use to work with Quantum, so I haven't had any issues with
0: that. Yeah, everything for me, I think I had one or two extensions that broke but they got updated basically the next day so it wasn't an issue for me so how did you get involved with linux i I think this would be an interesting story for everyone whether you know we want to hear it from a specific person or um just in general hearing how people get involved in linux is a very interesting topic
1: i was a teenager i can't remember how exactly old i was but i was a teenager once upon a time and (laughs) I experimented with Ubuntu a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this this was before Steam for Linux came out or anything like that. Right. So I toyed around with Ubuntu a little bit. I can't say I was all that impressed with it, but what made me come back to Linux was when Valve announced SteamOS way back in twenty thirteen. And I thought right. wow, this This is really awesome, the concept of having your own hardware that basically behaves like a console and have it set up in the living room with your own controller. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So that brought me back into Linux, and that also sort of pushed developers, some developers, to get their games onto Linux. So that helped as far as the gaming aspect is concerned. Yeah,
0: I can definitely see what you're talking about with um, more games having uh, native Linux support thanks to SteamOS just existing, even though not a lot of people used SteamOS, largely because... um, I don't know if you've ever actually tried to run SteamOS. Have you tried that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. And needless (laughs) to say, it was was an atrocious experience.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: (laughs) Just the installer was very complicated. I mean this this was what, seven years ago? So
0: something like that.
1: <laughs> wow, well, it's been a while. But yeah, back then right? it was just I mean, you would give yourself a pat on the back just being able to install it and then actually seeing the Steam logo pop up when you booted the computer.
0: Yeah. I tried it once, uh, but at the time they weren't distributing an ISO at least. They had something and you had to decompress it to your flash drive it was almost like a zip file and I had no idea what I was doing and I wasn't as nearly advanced as I am now. So it really confused me. And I didn't even bother with it when I couldn't figure out how to make a bootable USB with it. So that's about the extent of my playing with it. Um,
1: And then there were partition issues. Like if, if you wanted to have a, a dual boot, set up with your computer that was a nightmare oh. set up oh. then, yeah uh, just, <laughs> not, even the uh, uh big picture mode experience in general to me even now is just it's kind of like it, it feels very laggy and mm-hmm. it's not I, I don't know how to describe it, it was, it's just i don't know it's weird if i can put it that oh. way yeah
0: i never liked steam big picture mode either Because I'm one of those guys where the first thing I do when I boot up an OS is I start turning off animations everywhere because it feels like it slows it down. Right. And on a low-powered system, you may need to turn off animations in order to save a little bit of GPU power. And on a high-powered system, you know, why not go ahead because it's going to speed up your workflow. But you can't do that in Steam Big Picture mode. It's the way it is and you can't change it. Uh, You might be able to skin it because I know you can skin Steam, but I don't know anyone that does that. And I don't know how stable or secure that is. And I don't even bother with it because I'm perfectly happy with the Steam interface as it is. And I rarely use Steam big picture mode anyway, unless it's a specific game that just, for some odd reason, works better when I launch it from big picture mode, which I find happens a lot with controllers.
1: Now, do you like the the new steam interface that valve put in like six months ago or do you Uh, prefer the old interface
0: i actually prefer the new interface because i'm able to sort my games like um like so so i categories yeah so i have a folder for tomb raider games i have a folder for um elder scrolls games i have a folder for fallout games and then i also have a folder that has all my games that I have installed. And it's one of those smart folders that um, changes the contents of it as your library changes. So if I install Shadow of the Tomb Raider, it would automatically pop up in my install folder. If I uninstall it, it goes away. So I just typically go into that one folder so I know what I have installed. It's pretty easy to set up, actually. I know one of the reasons that they switched over to that interface was because when Steam was first created, most people were gaming on 1024 by 768 displays, and their old interface worked perfectly fine. But the new interface is much more scalable because I know a lot of us have 1080p, 1440p, 4K displays. Yeah, plus
1: dual monitor setups.
0: Oh yeah, Definitely.
1: Anyway, coming back to what brought me back to Linux was it wasn't just SteamOS because, you know, like we were talking about, we had a really bad time with SteamOS. So I switched back to Ubuntu after that because that was another distribution that Valve officially supported. And that wasn't anywhere near as bad of an experience. I had a lot better experience using Ubuntu.
0: Yeah. Ubuntu is pretty good about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah these
1: days so fast forward a couple of years and then i kind of lacked interest in gaming on linux because there were there were a lot of games that were being brought over to linux but there's just still wasn't enough for me personally so i kind of went back to console for a while and then when proton came out a few years ago I went back to the Linux gaming scene, and I've I've been gaming on Linux ever since. So Proton has been such a a, a big turnover for me.
0: Okay, cool. Um, So I take it you play video games, of course. Um, Do you play them mostly on PC, on console, mobile, some combination thereof? And what genres?
1: So mostly I'm playing on the Nintendo Switch and... On Linux, I haven't used Windows in a long time, so it's mostly the Switch and Linux. I have a PS4, sometimes I'll use that, um, mm-hmm. particularly once the Final Fantasy 7 Remake comes out, I'll definitely be using it again. As far as mobile is concerned, I'm not a fan of mobile games, so okay. yeah, mostly just mostly Switch and Linux. As far as genres are concerned, I'm a big fan of fighting games. That's got to be my favorite. I like RPGs, certain racing games, and some survival games.
0: Okay. So when you say fighting games, are we talking like... um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, Like a street fighter or Mortal Kombat type or something else?
1: So I like a lot of different fighting games... Marvel versus Capcom, I like that kind of style. Um, I okay. never really got into Street Fighter. I definitely do like Smash Brothers. That's got to be one of my favorite games.
0: Yeah, a lot and... of people I know like that game. I don't have a Switch, unfortunately, so I've never been able to actually play it, but it does seem interesting. If I get the money to get me a Switch, I might get it at some point. But as of right now, uh, my library personally is limited to PC only
1: once you do get a switch what smash brothers does is it kind of gets you into the transition of fighting games it's more aimed towards casual uh, gamers and Mm -hmm. so smash brothers gets you into that transition to the more complex fighting games like say marvel versus capcom where you have more complicated mechanics involved
0: okay cool do you see Linux becoming a more viable platform in the future for gaming?
1: Yes and no. So when Steam for Linux was brought back in 2013, if I recall correctly, the market share for Linux was 2%, a whopping 2%. Okay. So that's, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think that's the highest percentage we have ever had in Linux gaming history. And then you have Steam. The announcement of SteamOS, of course, which brought some more gamers on board, and then Proton. You think of someone like Linus Tech Tips, who used to be opposed to Linux, but then since Proton has been released, even he got on board and says, yeah, gaming on Linux is now potentially an alternative option to gaming on Windows. But I don't know what the market share is right now. I think we're still less than 1%. But if you think, think about it, we have, what is it, 125 million Steam accounts?
0: Something
1: like that. So 1% of that is what? 1.25 million?
0: Uh, Yeah, roughly. One and a quarter That's a lot million. Of
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. You have over a million users who are playing games on Linux and. I think that number will continue to grow as as Proton matures and as we get more native Linux titles. And, you know, who knows, maybe Windows will get to that point where more and more people aren't going to want to use it because this feature has been put in that nobody wants and they'll be looking for an alternative. So I think Linux will have a spot there.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think more people are going to end up moving to Linux as time goes on as well. Whether it be for gaming or because I know a lot of people hate how Windows forces updates on you. Right. Whether they care about the privacy issues with Windows and the security issues with Windows or not. The one thing that Windows users almost ubiquitously hate is those forced updates. Personally, that's one of the reasons that I have initially switched over was I don't have updates forced on me. I don't have blue screens nearly as often. So I think once people realize that updates on Linux are much smoother, instead of being uh, forced on you and potentially breaking things, they're optional, and you might even get new features out of it. I think it's going to slowly grow, but I don't see it being a huge market share for another 20 years, maybe, if that.
1: Right, because we don't have the we don't have the advertising behind operating yeah. systems like Windows.
0: Yeah, but I do think developers are gonna start taking us more seriously. Cause I feel like let's take Adobe for instance. In the past, Adobe was just super hard against not making apps for Linux. And the only thing that we had from Adobe on Linux was Flash Player and that was it. Flash Player is dead now. So we have nothing from Adobe on Linux. But I think it feels almost as if Adobe is a little bit more open to making stuff for Linux. I don't think they will still. I think we need to do a lot more work on the snaps and flat packs and the app images because if they do make an app for Linux, that's going to be where it happens. But it does feel as if they're a little bit more open to it. And once that happens, our market share will probably jump by a whole percent or two, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the context of being at one or two percent, that's like a doubling.
1: Plus I th- for the time being, we have other apps that behave the same way.
0: Yeah. So I'm not going to mention their name here because th- this is kind of an unsavory subject, but one of my friends found a way to crack a specific version of Photoshop, I think it was, and the cracked version that he can get hold of, it runs pretty good, actually, in Wine. Yeah, so you can actually get, like, essentially copyright-free Photoshop in Wine. I don't think he's done any of that lately, but there is proof right there. It's possible to get these things running. It's just do you really want to jump through the hoops? Right. And most users are going to say uh, no.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So coming back to Draugr OS, how did you hear about it? So
1: I happened to be browsing my Reddit feed one day, and I believe it was in the Linux subreddit, and it was an article from ItsFoss regarding the upcoming 7.5.1 beta 1 release and so i read that article and i found the concept interesting that hey we got a gaming oriented distribution that's based off ubuntu which is a distro that i'm already familiar with so the transition won't be so much of a hassle Mm -hmm. and uh, i just found the concept interesting after reading that article so i went to the draugr os website and found that i liked the the layout of the site and the design of it and that's when i contacted you and asked if i could contribute in some way
0: yeah and you've been a huge help so far so i think you've seen already i am not a writer at all my english skills are terrible despite english being my um, native language so having someone that i can send stuff to to look over and Give me feedback on ways that I can clarify or um, information I should probably add or extra information that I can probably pull out because nobody cares. Having that feedback is super helpful. And you've also been super helpful in pointing out bugs and features that I can probably add or should add to the beta. So you've been super helpful so far and I greatly appreciate it and hopefully you'll do more in the future.
1: Thanks. You're, <laughs> you're pretty quick on uh, bringing about those changes too. So Drago OS is rolling along pretty quickly. So I think by the time it reaches stable release, it'll be a worthy OS for many people to use.
0: Yeah, so I've noticed in the past with releases, by the time they hit like halfway through beta two or hit beta three, they're so good in comparison to the current Stable release, then I'm at the point where I'm like, look guys, if you really want the best possible experience out of Drago OS, go check out the latest beta. Because that's where most of my development focuses. Especially right now, because the way I build ISOs for the Stable decided to break on me several months ago, and I haven't been able to get it working again. So if you start up the Stable release, you get a couple gigabytes of updates and I know nobody likes that but I can't update it because I can't build a new ISO so at this point the beta is the best thing I got
1: you think you'll have that fixed by the time 5.1 reaches stable
0: uh, probably not Um, partially because 751 and 741 the way I do development for them and the way I build their ISOs are so vastly different from each other that the changes I make on that system for one do not affect the other in any way, shape, or form. So seven four one is kind of stuck in a rut. And it's going to be end of life here in five and a half, six months anyway. So I don't really see a huge benefit to putting a lot of effort into fixing the stable release when it's going to be end of life here in a few months anyway, and when I could be focusing those resources on making more documentation or fixing bugs or adding features or uh, shrinking the ISO size or helping people figure out how to use the installer or who knows. If I somehow miraculously did get it fixed between now and then, I would definitely update that ISO, because I hate my users having to download multiple gigabytes of updates each time they install the OS. But I don't see it being some sort of miraculous fix in the meantime. I see it as it's broken and it's going to take a lot of work to figure out what exactly broke and how to fix it. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So the stable release is great. Don't get me wrong. When it came out, it was by far the best release of Draugr OS so far, largely because, so up to that point, the way I pushed updates to Draugr OS was not through an app repository. And it was through a GitHub repository, and the user had a script on their system that they were supposed to run, and it would download a script from the GitHub repository and run that script. And the script would then make any changes that needed to be made to the OS. But I never liked this because, A, it doesn't follow the, the way you normally do updates on Linux. And it gave me way too much control over how a user uses their system. It felt way too much like Windows. And I did not like that at all. So with seven hundred and forty-one, I completely got rid of that and moved over to the app repository, which is the way it's really supposed to be done. Right. How long have you
1: been working on Draugr OS?
0: Draugr OS was born in May 2018. So we're coming up on the two-year anniversary.
1: How did you come up with the 7.x point
0: x? That's a great question, actually. So the first number, it indicated the number of tries it took me to get to a point that I felt like Draugr OS could be made public. So the first version of Draugr OS... It was, God, oh, what was it? It was Ubuntu 1404 server with LXDE tacked on top. It was never made public, but the way you had to like start it up, you had to start it up, log in on a command line, and then manually start the X server. And that was something that I just I knew I couldn't publish because it's nowhere near good enough, but it was crazy lightweight. Why would
1: you use the server edition rather than the desktop edition?
0: Because the server editions of Ubuntu, they're much smaller. And because of that, I have less than I need to rip out of it in order to put what I want in and still have a decent ISO size. And I knew at the time that I wanted an interface that was something close to a game console. But I didn't know what desktop I could do that with yet. So I've been searching around and hadn't quite settled on anything quite yet. So I knew chances were I was going to be ripping the desktop off of whatever I used and tacked on what I wanted. But if I could use an OS that didn't have a desktop environment yet, that skips an entire step for me. In the case that the OS I based it off of had a QT-based environment like KDE or LXQT, that would also potentially save a lot of disk space. Because LX, QT, KDE, their dependencies take up a lot of disk space. So it was mostly just a disk-saving measure and a RAM-saving measure because they have, the server editions have fewer systemd processes and things like that running in the background.
1: Okay.
0: There were several jumps here and there between other ideas. Sixth version of Draugr OS was based off of Sparky Linux and I don't know if you've ever used that. Well, they, they have a Game Over Edition, which is a gaming-oriented version of Sparky Linux. It comes with a lot of games pre-installed, and I like the idea, and that's what I used to build the first version of Draugr OS that I felt I could publicly release, but I couldn't because the method at the time I used to build ISOs didn't work on it. So I had to jump over to Zubuntu and replicate what I had done on Sparky Linux minus the games and then publish that. And that was Drug OS 727.
1: Now what is Sparky Linux based off of?
0: Sparky Linux is based off of Debian. If I'm not mistaken, it's based off of Debian Unstable, I think. It's in a weird place because the way I look at gaming distributions on Linux is there's two camps. There's the game console camp, and then there's the desktop camp and things like SteamOS, os Locker os they are the console camp they are more like you install these on a pc you stick the pc in your living room hooked up to your tv and you have a console made out of a pc basically yep but then you have kind of drugger os but not exactly we're somewhere in the middle but definitely sparky linux and kind of pop os and manjaro they're more the desktop camp. They are distributions that are more oriented towards general desktop usage, but they optimize themselves for gaming. Drugger OS doesn't put nearly as much emphasis on general desktop usage as Pop OS or Manjaro does, but you can use it for productivity if you go through the effort of installing all the apps. It's just not something it's intended to do. Okay. And Sparky Linux, if I'm not mistaken. It's somewhere in the middle as well. It's just we're more towards the console side because. Right. It's more like a minimalist kind of. Sub. Yeah. You install it and you basically just have a file manager, a text editor, Steam, Lutris, Play on Linux, Game and Hub. yeah, Game Hub now, and a few other under the hood tools here and there, and a lot of themes. <laughs> a lot of themes. And uh, like half of them are dark themes.
1: And then you have the option of big picture mode from the login screen.
0: Right, which, as you've pointed out yourself, is still broken, but I'm trying to figure out how to fix that. Sparky Linux doesn't come with any of those productivity tools either. They come with a lot more games installed, at least the Game Over Edition does. Normal Sparky Linux comes with productivity tools, but it doesn't feel like your typical desktop operating system either because it uses OpenBox. open box. It doesn't use a desktop environment. It just has a window manager. So it's super lightweight. It's just I don't see a lot of your normal users use Sparky Linux because of that. Having a desktop environment makes Draugr OS a lot more appealing to normal users. And I wouldn't normally call gamers normal users, but there's somewhere between normal user and power users because they understand how to optimize their system and how to benchmark it. But... They may or may not know that there are more optimizations that you can do under the hood, like in a terminal. And, you know, some gamers, they definitely know how to do that. But they're a smaller subset than people who they play games all the time. And that's basically what they do on a computer other than homework or whatever.
1: So with your aim with Drago OS, are you trying to aim for both of the camps that you mentioned, both the desktop user and the console user?
0: Yes. Drago OS is meant so that if you are a console user and you want the extra power and configurability of a PC with Linux installed, you can hop over and you can plug in your controller from your PS4, from your PS3, Xbox 360, Xbox One. And sit down, and go. You may need to pull out a keyboard every once in a while to log in or to pull up Steam, but other than those things, you should be able to use a controller to do whatever it is you want to do. As far as Steam Big Picture Mode is concerned, you can. On the actual desktop, that's more of for your desktop users. They want the power and configurability of a PC with Linux, but they also want something easier to use than a PC because jumping through all these hoops and having to get the latest drivers or update all the time or find the correct PPA that has the latest MESA drivers if you're on AMD or building your own kernel sometimes. They don't have to do any of that. They can just hop onto Drago OS. They have a kernel that's up to date with what Arch is running, basically. They have drivers that are as up to date or more up to date than Pop OS and Again, they can use a controller if they want to, but the keyboard and mouse still works, too, if they prefer to use that.
1: Oh, That's a really interesting concept. I like that.
0: Yeah, it it's honestly not the initial vision of Jogger OS, to be honest, but it's something that we settled into because it's what was feasible. The initial vision of Jogger OS was you start it up, you open a disk drive. You put in an Xbox 360 or a PlayStation or whatever disk, and it loads up an emulator automatically. That was the idea of basically a Linux OS that can handle game console disks and emulate those disks and emulate the ISO files if you have those too. And we were headed that way. But then Nintendo came in and started shutting down the ROM distributor sites. And I didn't want to risk getting a copyright claim because i didn't know who they were going to attack next so i ripped out all the emulators and called it a day
1: so then that's what made you switch over to what Draugr os is now
0: yes it's not the ideal scenario but you know you do what you got to do to keep your baby alive
1: well it's looking good so far i really like the concept you're describing here so i think it'll work out good
0: well I will admit we have a long way to go. As you've probably seen yourself, the new installer is still very buggy. It could have some features added here and there, but it's definitely better than what we had. The desktop is better than what we had. The ISO is smaller than what we had. We are better than where we were, but we still have a long way to go. Where would you like to see Drago OS go?
1: Well, you mentioned about making Drago OS a little less buggy than it is right now. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's definitely something that we'd all like to see, make it more of a smooth experience going from installing it to getting Steam set up, getting the controller set up, etc, etc. But I would also like to see gaming performance on Drago OS if we can somehow get that a little bit higher than, say, vanilla Ubuntu or vanilla Debian. If we can do whatever it takes to squeeze in those extra couple of frames, I really think that would set Drago OS apart from other gaming distributions.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. We've had discussions about that performance, and you know I am working on trying to improve that performance because you did some benchmarks. If I'm not mistaken, most of the time it was lagging just a couple of frames behind Pop! OS. Yep. So I think the only time that we were pulling ahead is was with when... Proton, yeah. I think that's because of that low latency kernel helping to compensate for performance loss when using Proton.
1: You mean like for compiling the shaders and stuff?
0: Yes, and also Proton is based off of Wine. Wine is not an emulator, but the way it works, this compatibility layer, there are some times where the way you may do something causes a performance loss because you don't have those proprietary services to work with that have been heavily optimized for the Windows environment. You're working with what could be 20 or 30 different open source alternatives that you could find on basically any Linux distribution. So Wine and Proton have to check for all these different things and utilize them. So you, you do get a slight performance penalty by using Proton. Some games, they don't see that penalty. I know I can play Skyrim and Fallout 4 on high settings and get a fairly stable 60 FPS. With my 1050 Ti, that's about what I would expect on Windows. Doom, I can play it near, I think, medium to high settings and be getting, I think it's about 100 or so. I don't remember what the numbers were exactly because it's been a while since I've played Doom. But Doom sees almost no performance loss at all on Proton because they've optimized it a lot to work on Proton. So it depends on the game and it's always going to depend on the game. There's nothing I can really do about that. But there is... Things that I can do to make it more likely to get better performance. Because while I think your normal gamer is gonna run a lot of games in Proton, not everything's gonna be in Proton. Right. So for people like you and me who are probably gonna run games that are more likely to be native, I need to make sure that it's optimized for those native scenarios that we were seeing those lower frame rates. The latest kernel release, 5.6, I did some performance tweaks on it. They were mostly minor. I don't expect to see much of a performance uplift. If 4.onics doesn't come out and say the 5.6 kernel does get slightly worse performance than whatever kernels they're going to test against, then I definitely need to be looking at it. But if 5.6 does have worse performance, then at least I know it's not me. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Mark, for hopping on to our latest podcast episode with me. It was great to hear your take on linux and gaming and jogger os and where the linux gaming world is going or where it should go all right well thank you for listening to the jogger os podcast thank you to mark for hopping on and having this discussion with me it was a lot of fun and i hope everyone listening enjoyed this episode as well so thanks for listening and catch you in the next episode